0: Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Polling. My name is Pat Polling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Polling. And this week we're continuing our five part series on the total return you can earn from a multifamily real estate investment. Last week and the week before, we talked about security and stability. This week, our topic is. Total return income. Multifamily real estate can be designed in many ways to either maximize cash and optimize the other components of the total return or to maximize one of the other elements but then to optimize cash. This week, we're going to talk about how you do both. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. As always, I encourage you to swing by the Learning Center at marapoling.com. That's M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. In particular, I would direct your attention to the webinar section of the Learning Center. I'd invite you to register for our upcoming session, The Recovery 2021, scheduled for Wednesday, March 31st. 11 a.m. out west, 2 p.m. in the east. With the recent passage and uh, issuance now of stimulus funds to a significant number of households, combined with the progress on vaccinations and herd immunity, and the fact that many local jurisdictions, cities, and states are beginning to uh, reduce their restrictions, we are absolutely looking at Uh, the recovery starting. When that's going to start, how big it's going to be, and what that all means for multifamily, that's what we're going to talk about on the 31st. So I invite you to join us uh, for that one. All right, let's uh, dive in. So this is the third step in our five-step total return program. And while we use the total return model for our investment fund, as an example, It's also a tool you can use when you're evaluating any multifamily investment you want to look at, and I encourage you to look at the total return even before you begin to evaluate investments and identify which of these elements you would want to prioritize, the ones that you really want to maximize, and then the ones that you're comfortable optimizing relative to those that you'd have a priority on. You can't prioritize all five, Uh, but one or two maybe should really be the focus. And we've talked about two already. This week, we're going to talk about uh, income. Next week, we're going to talk about wealth creation, equity growth. And then the following week, which will be our final week in the series, we'll be talking about uh, tax advantages. So this term that I'm using of maximize versus optimize, here's, here's what I mean by that. When you have these five components, it's not possible to say, I want an investment that is uh, completely secure, completely stable, generates the most cash, grows the most inequity, and has every tax advantage you could imagine known to, to mankind. doesn't exist, right? You could have that as your objective. You're never going to find anything that does that. What you could do, though, is you could say, security is really most important to me, or equity growth is most important, or in my particular situation, I need income, so I'm looking for cash. Those would be items that you'd be prioritizing such that the investment you want to make is really going to look to maximize that component. That doesn't mean that the other elements aren't there. If you focus on generating equity growth, that doesn't mean you're not going to get any cash and that it's going to be an unstable investment and your investment's not going to be secure. It simply means that that's going to be the focus of how you design it. And so this week what we're talking about is how we might design an investment that is going to focus on cash generation as opposed to some other element and then just optimizing cash. Okay, let's start with where cash comes from. Tenants pay rent, we collect the rent, we pay a bunch of expenses, right, whether it's property taxes or utility bills or the on-site staff or maintenance uh, work that we do on the property, but we spend money taking care of those things. About half the rent is left over after we do all that, and then we pay the bank, right? We pay the lender the mortgage payment and some other debt service items that might be associated with it. There might be a capital reserve or something else. So we pay that. What's left? We get to pay out as a distribution to investors, right? That's the cash that's generated. So that's true when you're investing with a sponsor like Mara Poling in a passive environment, or if you're doing this work yourself, right, and you have your own portfolio, you're going to spend money on all those things, including setting some reserve dollars aside, and then you're going to have some cash left over, and that's the cash that you, that you get. There's essentially three levers that we can use to maximize that cash return. So if our focus is going to be we want cash, we need that money, we need it flowing as quickly as possible uh, in the project and we want it to be uh, at X level. Uh, I'm going to use 8% in uh, my example. So we want to identify an asset that we could acquire where we could have Eight uh, percent cash flow, and we'd like to have that as close to day one as possible uh, and have it be consistent and growing as we go forward and we're in doing that, we understand that trying to maximize that cash number is potentially going to put me in a position where my equity number might not grow as rapidly uh, and Uh, if I really want to get crazy, not 8%, but 10% or 11% or 12%, I might actually give up some, some stability or some security. So let's talk about those pieces. The three levers are net operating income, debt service, and capital investment. So if we want to maximize the amount of cash that we generate, we need to maximize the net operating income. So that means we're going to want to have a program that moves rents and other revenue line items uh, as well as, if you will, contra revenue line items, vacancy, so that we can maximize that top line at the same time that we are holding the line on expenses, Uh, challenging to reduce expenses uh, over time. In some places, you might. For example, you might be able to minimize or reduce the amount of repairs and maintenance that you have uh, by making certain investments uh, in the assets. For example, if you're having a certain amount of HVAC activity every year, uh, you could put an HVAC program in place, put a bunch of capital in, and that would reduce that. But you've just invested capital, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. So you're going to look to move NOI up. You want to have a good, solid net operating income. And then we want to have a small debt service, right? Well, in order to have a small debt service, we could either have a low interest rate or we could have a small amount of debt. We're not going to want a small amount of debt if we're going to try and really maximize cash. We're actually going to go in the opposite direction because that's tied to the third lever, and that is the capital that's invested. So if you want to get a larger return, not 8%, but 10%, 12% on the money you have invested, one of the ways to do that is to get the same dollars generated, but have that generated against a smaller amount of capital you invest one of the ways to invest a smaller amount of capital is to simply have the property more highly leveraged. So I want to reduce that debt service through a combination of uh, higher leverage and uh, lower cost debt. And then the final piece, as I said, is the capital that's invested. And that's really driven by a couple of different factors. One, how much do I pay for the property? The more I pay for the property, the... Uh, more capital I'm going to have to put in. And remember, I'm buying net operating income. So I want to pay less for each dollar of NOI in order to get a better return. That means I want to pay a higher cap rate. I also want to lever the property in such a way that I can reduce the amount of capital that I have to invest. And I'd like to invest in an asset where the amount of money I invest, that incremental value add money can generate significantly higher value than normal because that will give me a greater incremental return and that flows through to the cash flow numbers. So how do you do that? How do you move those three things? And as you can tell, as I was describing them, they're interrelated with each other. So If you have a higher cap rate, and we talked about cap rates a lot uh, on the podcast and in our webinars, uh, a a cap rate is, the the formal definition is, it is the unlevered rate of return on an investment. Invest $10 million in a building that generates $600,000 in net operating income. That would be your return if you had no leverage on it and that is a six cap, right? You're getting a 6% return. If you got $500,000 for that $10 million investment, it'd be a five cap and so on. When you are focusing on cash, you want to buy a higher cap rate. You, you want to be able to get more bang for your buck. If you can buy that $600,000 of NOI, but you can buy it instead of for ten million, if you can buy it for nine and a half million, well you're going to get a better return percentage wise on your investment because you'll have to put fewer dollars in than you would have if you bought it for ten million or ten and a half or eleven million from that standpoint. so buying at a higher cap rate is going to put you in a position where you can generate more cash now the Impact of that, relative to the other four components, is at a higher cap rate, every dollar of incremental NOI generates less equity growth. So let's think about this for a minute. At the the $10 million number, we had $600,000 in NOI. Uh, And now we're going to add $100 in NOI. So I got $100 in NOI. And I'm going to now generate $1,666 in incremental value. How did I get that? Well, it's it's easy. I took the uh, $100 of uh, revenue, and I divided it by the 0.06 by the cap rate, and I got uh, $1,666. Uh, so I'm getting a... Sixteen almost seventeen to one return at a six cap, but what if I made it an eight cap right what if what if when I bought that um, six hundred thousand dollars of NOI I only had to pay seven and a half million, which is what an eight cap uh, would have looked like at an eight cap i 'm only getting twelve hundred and fifty dollars of incremental value for that one hundred dollars of revenue growth so it's going. I'm going to pay a price by focusing on cash by not getting as much equity growth. So that's one of the impacts from it. The other impact is in order to find a high cap rate asset, right? So right now, as a great example, in the markets we're active in, if I wanted to find an eight cap, I'm not going to find that in a B, a class B asset. I'm going to be in a Class C, and honestly, probably a pretty marginal Class C asset that has a lot of work to go with it. So it could be really challenging uh, to do that. But you would absolutely, if you were trying to uh, maximize cash, you'd want to be probably in that six cap or better area to be able to do it. And part of the price you're going to pay is you're going to give up some equity growth. When you want to try and minimize the amount of debt service, Well, as I said, there's two ways to do that. One is to have a lower rate. The other is to borrow less. And obviously, you borrow less if you pay less for the property, right? So again, a higher cap rate is going to help you in terms of having a smaller amount of debt service. But the other way is to simply have a higher loan to value. We're typically going to target around 70% uh, for a a purchase LTV on the purchase price with an effective uh, leverage in the high 60s after we put in our cap. Uh, capital for improvements and so on. If you want to move that lever on the cash side, you can go to 75%. You can go to 80%, right? Now, you still have to meet the debt cover requirements. uh, And we use a break-even occupancy number on top of that. But the lender is going to want to see a debt cover requirement. And again, that's really going to tie back to that cap rate. If you're buying at a low cap rate and putting a lot of leverage on it, you're not going to meet uh, the debt cover requirements, and you 're not going to qualify for that loan, so in order to qualify for a higher leverage loan again you 're going to need to be buying something that's a little uh, higher in that uh, in that cap rate band. The other half of that is getting a low interest rate now interest rates right now are wonderfully low, and they have been for a very long period of time. And while there's some movement going on in the Treasury markets right now, I encourage everyone, look at where Treasuries were just a couple of years ago when we were quite content with where they were and very happy that they were that low. We're not even back to those levels yet. So so we're in a very good spot relative to uh, interest rates. And you can get some really good low-rate debt. now. To do that, in many instances, to really push the envelope, you're going to get a floating rate. And if you get a floating rate and it's uncapped, meaning it can rise limitlessly, then you're taking on a lot of risk, right, cash flow risk, right, as those rates move up over time. And uh, I find it hard to believe that there's many people out there that think rates are going to go down in the future. There's probably some. The overwhelming majority of the sentiment is that over time, over the next handful of years, we're going to see rates go up. How quickly, how high, that's where the debate can come in. But the consensus is rates are going to be moving up. So if you have a floating rate loan and you don't have a cap on it, meaning it can rise with no boundary, as it goes up, your debt service increases. As your debt service increases, your cash available for distribution reduces. So even what you're trying to maximize potentially ends up being put at risk with that. So if you want to use that kind of debt, and we have used that on occasion, uh, getting it with a rate cap so that it can only rise a certain amount Uh, And doing so, uh, there's a lot of math you do when you put it together on the front end. Uh, It's relatively inexpensive insurance, and then that can really give you a secure interest rate long term. And that spread between the cost of money, the interest rate, and that cap rate has a lot to do with the kind of cash that you're going to see. The other element that can be done on the um, debt side is... To not necessarily have a high level of cash generation day one, right? So if that's your objective, is if you're looking at these five elements of the total return and you're saying, I really need a lot of cash and I need it day one, then this next strategy wouldn't be for you. But if you were simply saying, I want to hold this asset for five years or more, and I want to continue to find ways to get cash out of it, both on a monthly basis uh, and periodically, well, periodically, you could either refinance the debt depending upon how you structured the original debt, or put some supplemental debt on, and that supplemental debt would allow you to take some lazy equity out in the form of cash very tax efficiently, so that you might see maybe six seven eight percent cash on average over the whole period, but then you'd have a spike, and that spike could could be a you know, a 20% return in in one particular year. So a bunch of cash that you would uh, suddenly be able to get your hands on. Now, when you do that, that lazy equity you're taking out, hence the word equity there, is reducing equity growth, because you're basically harvesting the equity growth and turning it into cash now, as opposed to having it available as equity later when it's time to do a sale exchange out of this asset into another asset. So there's trade-offs. Is maximizing cash or maximizing income generation, is that a bad idea? No, it's not. There's absolutely situations where that makes a lot of sense. Uh, We just recently, for one of our clients, put together a project for them that did just that. They had an interest in having a fairly stable, fairly significant cash flow from an asset that we were able to structure in such a way using some of these tools, but not at the extreme. So while we maximized it, we really did still keep an eye on keeping the other four elements in play. So we didn't give up all the equity growth. We didn't move to an environment where we were uh, significantly less stable or had security issues or what have you. So, um, So again, there's Um, gradations to how this can be done. If you really wanted to swing for the fences with a cash deal, you could do that. And you'd be looking at buying a high cap rate asset in which you would highly lever it. You'd be putting uh, the least expensive debt you could find, which is probably some kind of a floating uh, rate that's out there. And then you'd be looking for opportunities to either refinance or put supplemental debt on and pull even more cash out from whatever equity growth might happen. You could do all of those things and and be in a position that when you did exit that asset, you might not see any equity growth or very, very little realistic equity growth in terms of what you'd get at that point in time because you've taken all, all along the way. Now, there are tax implications for these items that I've discussed, and we're going to talk about those in two weeks. We don't uh, have... Um, time or the space today to be able to go through and do that, um, but that absolutely can be done. All right, what about the other side of the coin? What if I'm not looking to maximize cash? What if I'm looking to maximize one of the other components? I've mentioned previously that uh, we, Mara Poling, we focus on security and stability. We really think that's the right foundation Uh, for the kind of work that we want to do, and then we will look to optimize cash flow and equity growth and tax advantages in a fairly balanced way. So if you were looking for a more balanced return, then you wouldn't necessarily be looking for a high cap rate asset. And a six cap might be great, but you know what? Fives can work. And even maybe something in the high fours, given where interest rates are at right now. Modest leverage, 70%-ish kinds of leverage. Floating rate loans are okay as long as they're capped. And again, that's a tool that we uh, have used on occasion. Um, Unlikely in that environment that there's going to be a refi or a supplemental event down the road, unless the asset was held very long term, like 10 years. Um, otherwise, uh, it's more likely the cash is simply going to be what comes from the asset. And in today's environment, we think that that's a very reasonable 4 5% the first year or two to um, 8% plus. Uh, such that over a uh, maybe five-year period, you're probably looking at about an 8% cash return. We think that's very achievable in the markets that we're active in and in today's uh, environment. Um, is Can you do better than that? You certainly can do better than that, but we think those are very reasonable numbers. So if you're looking at this list of these five elements and Uh, the first items that come to you are, well, I don't want to lose any of the hard-earned money that I've uh, spent my life saving. Uh, And I I don't want to worry about where I've put it. Well, then multifamily is not only a good place to do it, but the kind of focus that I'm describing that we focus on is probably something that I would encourage you to emulate if you're building your own portfolio or to look for either with us or other sponsors in terms of what they're focused on. Um, And then enjoy the benefits of cash and equity growth and tax advantages. Next week, we're going to talk about what many people see as the other half of the return equation, which is equity growth. Um, Again, I think there's five pieces to it, and we absolutely don't want to forget tax. So we're going to talk about that in two weeks. But next week, we're going to talk about wealth creation and how assets can be structured so that we are maximizing the amount of wealth that's created over time. And you'll not be surprised, but we're going to talk about obviously doing that in such a way that we don't have as much cash that gets generated. And if you really want to push that to the extreme, you could do it in some instances in which you may in fact be giving up some uh, stability, Uh, of the performance of the asset in order to swing for the fences. Uh, But also you can have a very solid equity growth uh, plan as part of a balanced return. So that's next week. Please swing by the Learning Center at marapolling.com and register for the Recovery 2021 scheduled for Wednesday, March 31st. If you have any questions, do not hesitate to shoot me an email. And please join me again next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara